I didn't know whether there would be a table here, and there is one. So praise God. <coughs> oh, let's just pray. Um, we need God. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. And Holy Spirit, we just open our hearts today and we pray that you would stir us up. We ask that you would remind us what is pulsing through your heart right now. Holy Spirit, we need you. And we pray that you would teach us and wake us up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this week we have been talking about being strong in the Lord. And I was all ready to keep going on that bandwagon. And when I talked to the Holy Spirit early this week, he put something else very strongly in my heart to share with you all today. Um, so today we're going to talk about something that's on the Father's heart and it's five keys for revival. When I asked him what's on your heart, he, he's, he was saying revival's on my heart and we don't have to look too far in the world to see that it's chaos and we desperately need a move of God. In this nation, in every nation, we desperately need God. People need the Lord. And religion doesn't cut it. We need a move of the Holy Spirit. And we need Christians that are full of the Spirit of God to be salt and light and bring him to the world. Um, anyway, so I have a story for you. It's a story that the Lord uh, reminded me of, and some of you may have heard it before, and if you have, I ask you to listen in afresh today because I feel like the Father wants us to hear it and glean some wisdom from it. And this story comes from a book called The Secrets of the Great Argentine Revival by Edward Miller. And I'll give you some a little bit of background. Argentina in the 1940s was a pagan nation. There was they they estimated there might have been 500 Christians there um, if if they were lucky. Most churches had about 5 members. If you had 8 members, you were considered a mega church. <sighs> And Edward Miller, he was a missionary from America. And he went to a city called Mendoza in Argentina. And just to paint the picture for you, the guy he took over from had been there for 45 years and had only seen three people saved in that whole time. Can you imagine laboring as a missionary in a mission field and only seeing three people saved for your for your 45 years of laying your life down. Can you imagine it? Okay, so that's the picture, hard ground. <clears throat> and it was 1949, 
And Edward Miller had seen the Holy Spirit move as, as a child. And he'd seen, um, he'd like seen some of the meetings that Amy, Amy Simple McPherson um, and others had been running. So he knew the power of the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he, he fully believed that God would move in this city. Anyway, he's like, he's like, I know what to do. I'm going to go to a, ci- to a city called La Vale, which means the valley. And I'm going to go there and, and I'm going to take my friend, my fiery friend with me, and we're going to preach the gospel. No one's ever preached the gospel there before. We're going to preach the gospel. We're gonna, um, I'm going to take a tent. So he's like set up this big massive tent, put all his finance into it, sets up a big massive tent. They pray and fast for two weeks, declare. They, they're handing out gospel tracts. Um, the, one of the recounts that I read um, said that they visited every house with a track. Um, anyway, time comes for the meetings. No one shows up. Not one person. So for two weeks, they run meetings in this tent. Not one person comes. Not one person. He said not even a child came to see if it was a circus. And then it rained and the tent got flooded out and they kept going and then it got to the end of two weeks and they ran out of money and they packed up and went home feeling utterly defeated, feeling pretty defeated. (laughs) Imagine, can you imagine what that would have been like? And so he was pretty much ready to just pack his bags and go home. But he heard the Spirit say, it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. And so God challenged him to surrender both flesh and the works of the flesh. And God challenged him to lay aside every missionary activity and give himself entirely over to prayer. He was told by the Lord to try prevailing prayer. And the Lord laid down his terms for surrender. He said, spend a minimum of eight consecutive hours daily with him in prayer and his word. So, Edward agreed to this. He's like, yep, I'll do it for a week, seven days. I'm going to seek the Lord. So there was a little attic above the garage of the church where he was serving. And he was like, he went in there and he he sought the Lord every single day, seven days straight. He wrestled with questions, days crept by, still no answer. And on the last day, the Spirit of God drew near and asked him what he was doing. (laughs) And Edward answered, I am fasting and praying for revival. And then the Lord said this, an empty stomach is not the coin of heaven, but rather the blood of Jesus. That's all. That's all he had. And he was like, well, thanks for that. (laughs) But what do I do now? And he, he felt like he'd, 
he'd finished like his obligation and God hadn't crashed in, he hadn't seen God move. So he's like, well, I guess I'm free to go back to America and get a job. But then he realised that if he did that, his faith would slowly evaporate because he'd sought God and not found him. And so he kept going. For another seven weeks, he was seeking the Lord. That's all he did. Day, day in, day out. Seven weeks of silence. And he mentions in, in, in the book that he wrote, he mentions that even though he didn't find God in that time, the devil was certainly there. He was wrestling with like, what am I doing? Am I a fool? Everyone thinks I'm crazy now. I'm sitting alone in this room. All of the thoughts. <laughs> anyway, and so after seven weeks of seeking the Lord, he's like, right, God, I'm going to set a date for you. <laughs> Sharon's laughing at that. <laughs> he's like, I'm going to set a date. So... You need to do something by 5 o'clock this Saturday, by the end of the week. And if you don't, I'm going to just go back to the old way. I'm going to fill my pockets up with, with tracks and I'm going to hit the streets and just keep going. And he got to Saturday. 5 o'clock came. Bitter frustrate, frustration as... Nothing had happened and he filled his pockets up with tracks and he goes to the door, walks down the long corridor and you can only imagine how he would be feeling. He's feeling just absolute despair. And he, he heads outside, he head, goes to go outside and a pastor friend from, an, from another place in the city, he rocks up with his teenage son who isn't walking with the Lord. And they end up, um, the, the pastor starts like unloading all of his troubles for hours. And then Edward realises he's not going to be able to go evangelising with his tracks. Anyway, it comes to near the end of the two hours and Edward asks this young teenage boy a few questions. Next minute, the teenage boy is on the floor weeping, giving his life to Jesus. Praise God. <laughs> he now has a mega church, Edward. His church has gone from eight to nine. <laughs> and when they left... The Holy Spirit said to him, You see, son, when I wish, I can bring souls to you. Now return and continue in prayer until I tell you it's time to leave. So he goes back to the attic. And for weeks and weeks, he wrestles and he prays and he reads the word. And time loses all meaning. And then one day, no different to any other, God breaks into the attic. With his presence, with his glory, 
with an audible voice. And he describes that encounter in his book. I'm not going to go into that. Read it for yourself. (laughs) But for the next then six weeks, so we're talking like half a year's gone now. For the next six weeks, he basked in the atmosphere of heaven in his attic. He was having personal revival. And then the Lord gave him an order. He said, now I will pour out my spirit on the church. Go and tell the people to begin prayer meetings. Tell them to begin Monday night and then come prepared to stay from 8 p.m. till midnight. If they are not prepared to come for the full time, they must not come at all. That's what God said. Whoa. So Edward's like, I now have a direct something to obey from the Lord himself. But he's, he's doubtful. He's like, it's the middle of winter. We tried to have prayer meetings not very long ago and no one showed up. And that was at the most favourable time. Now you're saying, let's do it at 8pm to 12pm in an unheated building in the middle of winter and the buses don't run after, after that time. So people are going to have to walk home. So he's like, it will definitely be God if anyone shows up to this prayer meeting. And so he, he tells his congregation, prayer meeting, this is what God said, 8 to 12. If you can't stay for the whole time, don't come, God said. <laughs> and to his surprise, four people put their hand up. And he's like, great, I'll see you on Monday night. So four people come. I'm trying to remember who they were. There was a timid servant lady. There was a backslidden uh, worker and his shy young wife. And then Edward and himself. So five people at this prayer meeting. The three people who came did not have any grid for praying in tongues, speaking in the spirit, um, being filled with the spirit, no grid at all. But they were at the prayer meeting. And so they prayed from, oh, they, he taught them a little bit, give them a bit of a, a bit of something to work with. And then he's like, right, we're going to pray. So prayed from 8 to 12. Edward prayed and everyone else watched Edward pray. And at the end of the meeting, 12 p.m. comes around. And Edward asked the group, did anyone receive any impulse or direction from the Lord that would require an act of obedience. And so he asked the people, no, no, no. And he gets to the shy wife. And she said, I just have had this strange urge to bang my fist on that table over there. And Edward said, Edward's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay, will you do it? And she's like, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I couldn't. Edward's like, okay, 
I'll see you all tomorrow. Send some home. Next day, Tuesday, 8 p.m., pray from 8 to 12. Edward prays, no one else contributes. At the end of the meeting, Edward asked the group, did you receive anything from the Lord which would require an act of obedience? No, no, no. Shy lady, I just can't shake the urge to bang my fist on that table over there. And Edward said, will you do it? She said, no, absolutely not. Wednesday, same thing. Edward prays from 8 to 12. Everyone else watches him. He asked the group, did you hear anything from the Lord that would, would require an obedient act? No, no, no. Shy, shy wife. Table. It's like, will you do it? No. See you tomorrow. Thursday, they pray, same as before. And then Edward asks, did any of you receive an instruction from the Lord that would require an act of obedience? No, 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 table. And he's like, right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're all going to stand up we're all going to march around this table and we're going to sing a, a hymn and then one by one we're going to bang our fists on this table. I'll do it, then my wife will do it, then the, um, the other lady will do it and then the backslidden guy, you will do it. <laughs> and then he's like, and then you, you will do it. And he's like, all of this time, for the last few nights, he's been wrestling. He's like, God, am I crazy? I'm getting these people out. Nothing's happening. Your spirit, like, nothing. This table thing, could it be you? It's not in the Bible. Like, what the heck? You can imagine. So they, they start to well, march around the table sing a hymn, and then one by one, they bang their fist on the table. And then the shy wife, all of her courage, bangs her fist on the table. Revival. The Spirit of God rushes into the room like a mighty wind, fills the room. Far out fills the room. The servant girl raises her hands. Her face starts glowing and she starts praising the Lord in another tongue. Back sin guy, under the table, weeping on the floor, speaking in tongues. The um, shy wife, she's like, me too, Lord, don't pass me by. <laughs> Before she's finished speaking, boom, the Lord's on her. She's gone in the spirit. Revival started there and it changed that pagan nation into a Christian one. Hundreds of thousands were saved. There were thousands of documented miracles. And 
And as I was reading this over and over this week, I just felt the Holy Spirit's desire for us to get hold of some keys for revival. And I almost feel like I'm preaching to the converted here, but man, let your spirit be stirred up. Let your spirit be stirred up. Bill Johnson, he defines revival as a time where there is a pouring out of God's spirit, where his presence and works are displayed in a dominant way. I actually believe that God's heart is that revivals would never end. It's God's desire for us to go from glory to glory. And revival is the heart of God made manifest. It's when we see more clearly what's important to him. And ultimately, revival starts here. It starts in you, Isaiah. It starts in you, Jay. It starts here. It starts with an individual where God impacts an individual which then impacts a church, which then impacts a city, which then impacts a nation, and ultimately, culture itself is changed. So I want that for us. I want that for me, I want that for you, I want that for our church, for our city, for our nation. Because Jesus paid for it. So, five keys for revival. I actually just felt this drop into my spirit while I was at church group on Monday night worshipping. Praise God. The first one, hunger. Hunger. Matthew 5 verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I've said it before and I'll say it again. You hunger for what you feed on. Are you hungry for him? What are you filling yourself with? The thing I've found is the more that I taste and see that God is good, the more I want. It's not a chore to be with my father. It's not a chore to worship him. It's not a chore to press into him because it's a relationship. So what are you filling yourself with? It's that simple thing. If I fill myself with chocolate and sweet food, I'm going to crave chocolate and sweet food. If I fill myself, my body with healthy salads and vegetables, that's what I'm going to crave. When we fill ourselves with the Lord, we will want more of him. The Lord's not a fast food drive-through convenience store. <laughs> He's the Lord of hosts, the Lord of glory. He deserves my time. My goodness, be inspired by Edward Miller, who was just like, I can't do it without God. 
So I'm going to go and seek him till I find him. Every great revival can be traced back to a person that had that heart posture. I'm going to seek God until I find him. And for goodness sake, don't feel condemned. If you feel uncomfortable in that space of seeking God, Edward was pretty uncomfortable. Don't be condemned. Be real with God. God, I don't know you, but I want to know you. And your word says I can know you. So I'm going to seek you. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to let you teach me how to pray. I'm going to let you teach me how to seek you. We need to be hungry. He's not going to pour himself on people who aren't hungry for him, who don't value his presence. Why would he? My friend Mark Greenwood recently said this. He said one of the biggest threats to the Pentecostal church is that their theology will make them proud instead of hungry. Let's be hungry. The second one, obedience. As I was sharing, uh, as I was preparing last week, I was on um, Glory Kids last week, and I was preparing to share with them the Pentecost story. And something hit me like a ton of bricks, and it's put such a fire in my heart. When we read. You can take these references down and just um, read them for yourself this week. But when we read 1 Corinthians 15, 5 to 7 and Acts 1, 4, we see that Jesus appeared to 500 people in the flesh. 500 people. Jesus said, here I am, risen from the dead. 500 people. And he told them to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. So he appears to 500 people, tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit. How many people were in the upper room and received the Holy Spirit? Was it 500? 120. Boom. 120. Only 120 did what he said to do. And so, like, what is that in percentage? I did work it out. 24%. percent. 26% 76% of the people who saw the risen Jesus didn't do what he said and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Idiots. Yes. Church, we must learn to wait on him and do what he tells us to do. My goodness. John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, says Jesus, you're going to do what I say. It looks like something. Words are cheap. Obedience. My goodness. And I feel like there's never 
there's never a problem in obeying when you have a love relationship with God. If you're doing it out of some like religious effort mindset, you're going to find it hard to obey. But when you're walking with God, when, you're, when you know him, when you wake and you hear his voice over you every day, it is my absolute joy every day to do whatever he tells me to do, even when it's uncomfortable. Because I love him and I'm walking with him. Why would I want to do something that's contrary to what he wants me to do? I just don't. Remember the gospel, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And that life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In my opinion, if you call yourself a born-again believer, you have no choice but to do what he wants you to do. (sighs) I could stay on that for a long time. We're going to keep going. We need to be obedient to his voice, guys. We need to do what he says. Number three. Consecration. Consecration, it means dedicated to a sacred purpose. A few scriptures for you. Romans 6, 11 to 14. This is from the NIV version. And it says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Count yourselves dead to sin, alive to God. I am separated for the work of the Lord. I am not going to give myself to sin or to works of the flesh. I'm going to offer myself to God. In your own time, read Colossians 3, 5 to 16. It makes it very clear like put to death the old man put on the new man Ephesians 5 verse 8 for you at one time you were the darkness in the Lord uh, sorry for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of the light if you read your Bible and let it tell you who you are you will come to the conclusion that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have no choice but to set yourself apart from him and walk accordingly. Why would God pour out revival on people who don't have this attitude? Why would he? Hmm. I don't know where you are 
in your walk with God, but I'm not content to be ankle deep. He's too wonderful and glorious to stand far off. He's poured out his love and forgiveness on me and he's saved me and I can't go back. He knows that feeling. I can't go back. Go back to what? What, what, what do we have to go back to? Why would, we, why would we hold on to that? It's ridiculous. My only response to him is to offer myself as a living sacrifice set apart from him set apart for him. Romans 12:1 I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Hmm. Every day I wake up, good morning Father, good morning Holy Spirit, good morning Jesus. What's on your heart today? I give you my life. I lay down my agenda. I lay down my plans. (laughs) Psalm 5 verse 3, I think. Read it in the Passion Translation. Each and every morning, I lay the pieces of my life on the altar and wait for your fire to come and fall on my heart. Set yourself apart for the Lord and just watch what he does. The fourth one, humility. Remember Greeny's quote? One of the biggest threats of the, to the Pentecostal church is their theology will make them proud instead of hungry. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Guys, we don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. I need God. We need to have a posture, a heart posture of humility, just like Jesus. He said, I only, I only do and say what I hear the Father doing and saying. He, di- he didn't land on the earth and I'm the son of God. I have all the answers. He's like, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to do what my father does. And I'm going to say what my father's saying. Imagine if every Christian lived that way. Wow. The final one, prayer. Sharon's like, praise God. She added prayer. (laughs) Edward Miller prayed and sought God for months and months and months and months in prayer. D.L. Moody, he says this, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. (laughs) Church, if we want to see God crash into this city, we need to get on our knees and listen to his heartbeat. Prayer is simply union 
and communion with God Almighty. It's listening for his heart and his perspective, his plan for a person, for a church or for a city and then praying in agreement with his will to see it come. And the devil hates it when we pray. That's why it's so contested. That's why it's hard sometimes. Because the devil trembles when people get on their knees. If I can pray and receive direct instruction from the Lord... Why would I try and do it in my own strength? Why would I do it in my own human wisdom and effort? Man, we got to pray. <coughs> so, five keys. There's more. There, there's always more. But there's five keys for you. Let's be people who are hungry, who are obedient, who are consecrated, who are humble, and who are people of prayer. Amen.